Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Talking Politics. My name is Nico Johnson. I'm the political correspondent here at the Post Millennial. And today we have a really exciting guest, and that's Aaron O'Toole, who is the Member of Parliament for Durham. And he's running to be the next leader of the Conservative Party. And by the way, the Trudeau government is going, probably the next Prime Minister after that. So, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Nico. Well, it's a pleasure. And I think a good question to start with is that we are approaching the final deadline for votes. It's August 21st. That's less than a month. That's a lot of time you've spent on this campaign. It's all winding down. How are you feeling? Are, are you feeling positive? Do you think you're going to win? I do. Um, but my nature is we don't stop pushing and working hard until the very last second. And so our team from coast to coast to coast is in the process of getting out the vote, Go TV. We've got the best political organization that I think our party has, has seen. Um, we've got an incredible team that's getting that vote out. We've identified a lot of vote. And I've taken strong positions through this race. Um, I haven't tried to sort of uh, coast through it as some candidates have. And that's allowed a lot of people to reach out to me and say, look, I like this policy on the economy or I like your tough stance on China over the years. And we've been able to turn those conversations, whether through Zoom or through social media, into support. And we're now getting that support out. So we're working harder than any other candidate. And we're going to continue doing that to the end. And, and I'm confident. Well, it's good to hear. So I looked at the last time we spoke, which was in February. And in the space of a few short months, everything's sort of descended into chaos. Uh, we've had a pandemic, our economy, and in fact, the global economy has almost collapsed. Um, it, it's, it's been certainly the most memorable year of my life. In retrospect, and I think we do or are beginning to be able to look back at this pandemic with some ability of hindsight, do you think the Trudeau government did a good job in dealing with it? No, it did not, Nico. In fact, I just re-released a video my team has put, on, put out there doing the chronology or the timeline of the coronavirus COVID-19. And if you look, in late January, conservatives were asking for border controls with respect to flights from China. Uh, in February, I launched a very detailed plan on banning flights from key countries, enforcing quarantine for returning travelers. And actually, I asked the EI system to be stood up for what we knew would be work, work outages uh, as a result. And we were mocked for that. When I said the military might need to be used for the healthcare system and others, Nico, in early March, the Canadian press ran a national news article saying my rhetoric in the leadership race was getting out of control. And yet a month and a half later, the provinces were demanding the military to be used. So I think the government was slow. Uh, we did not have the results that countries like Australia, Taiwan, and some others had. They controlled their border very quickly and they had fewer community spread cases within their borders. So Trudeau made the challenge much harder for Quebec, for Ontario, for British Columbia and Alberta. And I think we have to learn the lessons, but the federal government made this much worse than it needed to be. Yes, and actually your point about uh, the sort of Canadian press getting a bit uh, upset reminds me of when the health minister, Patty Hajdu, firstly, she accused the journalists of spreading conspiracy theories when he suggested that China's data might not be as, uh, <laughs> as detailed as it, as it possibly could be. And secondly, she was concerned about closing the border out of concerns of racism. This seems a government, and I think it's a pattern of the Trudeau government, which is more and has always been 
uh, more concerned about substance or style rather have a look rather than the actual policy of what's going to affect it you you nailed it nico virtue signaling when i first yeah. used that term years ago i was accused of being alt-right when i called uh, justin trudeau's government virtue signaling now everyone says it just think about it trudeau's uh, health minister in the last parliament uh, uh jane philpott a mm. real medical doctor patty Hyju, a social activist and someone who was actually spreading incorrect information in the middle of a health crisis uh she should have been terminated immediately for yeah. her, her comments and what happened was that lulled canada into a much slower response in mid-march than we should have had and you saw the prime minister change his own opinion on a dime in one day and so this is this is a failure of leadership of the highest order and as you said they they were much more willing to accuse the conservatives or other voices of being intolerant or racist rather than to actual, actually listen to concerns Canadians had about the pandemic. So I'm gonna make sure as leader that we dissect the Trudeau government's response both on the health and the economic side because I think it's been insufficient and it's making both the, the pandemic's impact deeper and greater in Canada than it needed to be. And I think Canadians will be looking for a serious government that will get things back on track. If you were to become, uh, well, if you were to become leader, would you call an inquiry into how this government handled the pandemic? Yes, I've already announced that. And that would be part of my 100 day plan, where I'm going to reverse a lot of the ideological agenda, uh, anti energy, anti resource with the Trudeau government, I'm going to introduce a National Strategic Pipelines Act. But I'm also going to have a commission of inquiry but set very tight timelines on it, Nico. These, these commissions can turn into uh, uh, circuses for lawyers and consultants. What I wanna do is get down to what exactly happened, what information the government had before it, and what critical areas of our, uh, of our crisis response were inadequate. PPE uh, stockpiles, for example, the ability to switch up manufacturing, border procedures, these sorts of things. I want this done within a three month time frame, so that we can actually not learn the lessons and shelve them five years from now. We need to incorporate the lessons into the risks of a secondary or tertiary wave of COVID-19. And look, already we know the Department of National Defense briefed Minister Sajan in mid-January about the pandemic risk. I know from my own work that Public Works was aware by the beginning of February of China's run on the global PPE market. And I know because of talking to foreign contacts that foreign affairs, Minister Champagne was likely briefed about the huge transmission risk as well. So the prime minister had all this information by the beginning of February and they mm -hmm. did nothing for a month and a half. Yeah, and, and it's, there's other things which I think are more damning. For instance, I believe that the public health agency advised the health minister and uh, Philpott as well, uh, Ms. Philpott before, that we didn't have enough PPE if a pandemic were to happen. And this was in 2019. And lo and behold, in some you know, cruel divine phase, we ended up having one. But I, I think well, if we were to be- that, Let me add something, Nico. Two sure. years ago, I asked Trudeau about the Communist Party of China's manipulation of pandemic planning at the WHO. Yeah. By excluding Taiwan out. Now, of course, Justin Trudeau gave a ridiculous response to the question. and and about Canada swaggering on the world stage and more of his virtue signaling rhetoric. But 
we were asking the questions because close observers saw that Beijing was controlling agencies of the UN to keep their neighbors down, suppress dissent, and to really manipulate global bodies that were supposed to be nonpartisan, non non-aligned, geared towards public health. So this shows we need major wholesale reform of the WHO and, and the UN. I've been calling on that for years, but once again, Trudeau was too busy pursuing his UN Security Council seat to actually see the forest for the trees. Yes, no, I, I think you have a point there. But if we're to be extraordinarily generous to the Trudeau government, if we compare our situation to that of the US or, or Britain, it seems like we've done a pretty good job here. And yes, there were hiccups, but for what the government had to deal with, it seems that this is reasonable, that they messed up in that capacity. Would, would you agree? Well, look, I think we have fundamental differences with the US. This is what Trudeau is going to suggest that the only point of comparison for his response should be the response of President Trump. We, we actually benefited from strong leadership at a provincial level um, it particularly Premier Legault, Premier Ford, Premier Kenny, but also Premier Horgan in New Brunswick, or in, sorry, in British Columbia, uh, Premier Higgs, there was really good delivery of health response. And that wasn't just in Trudeau, that was actually the provinces. Uh, the provinces were pushing the federal government on issues related to the border. So the US has had a terrible response, there's, there's no question there. But I do think, um, had we let in fewer cases, we would have been much more similar to New Zealand or Australia, Nico, and that's, that's the point of comparison I'm making. I'm not gonna pick the, the country with the worst data points as my point of comparison. That's what Trudeau will do. Mm -hmm. I think the UK is probably a mid, uh, uh, in between us and the US, but these responses are more difficult in free individual rights-led societies. And so we have to be more prepared and, and have stockpiles and a whole range of things ready that we clearly didn't this time. Yeah, so moving on to another topic that has uh, dogged the uh, Trudeau government. Um, the WE scandal has, of course, it's, it's engulfed the news cycle in the last three weeks. Now, I, I wanted to know your thoughts on it, first of all. And secondly, do you think it's gonna bring down the Trudeau government? I think the overall incompetence and arrogance will bring down the Trudeau government, and this is one this is one brick being removed from the crumbling facade of, of, of Trudeau's government. And what it, what it tells us, Nico, is once again, even amidst a global pandemic, Trudeau and the people around him advance the interests of their friends, their liberal insiders, in some cases, their family over the public interest. That was the same with his first ethics violation, the private billionaire's island holiday. It was the same with SNC-Lavalin, where liberal lobbyists and a liberal-friendly firm was able to get Trudeau to actually terminate his attorney general, trying mm. to change the legal process. Here, Bill Morneau should be fired immediately. Katie Telford, the chief of staff, basically acknowledged this entire scheme, and I call it a scheme because paying volunteers when the government was already giving the emergency benefit to students. So students were already getting paid. Who came up with this wacky scheme to pay volunteers? They try and say the public service gave them only two options, no program or we. Who came up with this program? It was Bill Morneau, mm -hmm. who, 
who was not only in breach of restrictions on sponsored travel, he had family connections. We was sending their paid employees to events for them to fill the room and make Bill look more popular than he is, I guess. I'm not sure. That, that in itself should be investigated because I really believe, and this is my opinion, all charities and churches and nonprofits across Canada have been struggling just as much as, as businesses in COVID-19. It, it seems like we was granted an operating line courtesy of the government who made up some sort of program that wasn't even needed. So I think we're gonna to get to the bottom of it, but already there's enough to see that Bill Morneau has no confidence of the house. He's already been very poor as a finance minister. I really think he needs to go. Mm -hmm. And it, it is just blatant corruption. And it surprises me. And, and the media has been somewhat bombastic. That they've managed to raise an eyebrow, which they usually don't. But the fact that a minister hasn't resigned from this yet, or again, the Trudeau government hasn't really been significantly affected in the polls, reveals a certain apathy, I think, within Canadian democracy. And I think it, a lot of it comes from the media subsidies, which of course you're ending. Um, do you think that's in some way affected the coverage of the WE scandal? The fact that the Trudeau government has given a large figure of money to these companies? Um, I certainly think it definitely reflects coverage. Look, you can't separate the two things um, at a time where um, media, traditional media is suffering and the government has created a carrot. And the carrot is uh, their committee will determine who gets subsidies. It, it, it's, it's an incentive. And I think on an individual basis, a lot of journalists aren't captured by that. But the focus of editorial boards, the focus of chase producers and these sorts of things to follow down lead indirectly can be influenced by this. And why I think it's, it's nuts, Nico, and I've, I've said this with you guys before, Trudeau's over subsidy, the 600 million more he gave to CBC, CBC Digital is competing with the online digital advertising of Post Millennial, of, of uh, all the traditional media chains that are trying to commercialize their online presence. So government interference causing impacts in the private sector. So then the government subsidizes the private sector. It is ridiculous. It needs to end. And, and look, you guys are doing innovative work. Uh, there's some bloggers and podcasters that do more insightful analysis of government issues and, and political scandals than the mainstream media does. So this is time for accountability and it's time for people to up their game and up their business model and the government shouldn't be uh, catering to that encouraging good coverage and I think that's what's happening. But if one is to be pragmatic it must be quite a dangerous policy to invoke or at least a pledge because surely you're going to receive some negative coverage as a result of that because they have you know their bottom line depends upon it and already um, as I discussed with you at the ICPG uh, debate, we saw the CBC just cut off a bit of your question where you make quite a persuasive arguments to defund them. That's going to happen more often, isn't it? It could, you know, and this is where I've said uh, I stand up for things I believe in and I try and explain them. You know, my, my team laughed, but after that interview, what was interesting, CBC asked us to record it because with Skype sometimes sound will cut out. So they asked mm. us to send a voice file 
And I said to them that day, I said, I bet you they will cut my CBC answer because it was a reasonable response to their question. And look, I have respect for David Cochran, the journalist. I don't think he decided to cut it. Um, this was a rational response to why I think privatizing CBC English television and, and ending CBC Digital, I think would be good for Canada. It would not hurt journalism at all. It actually might free up dollars that the public broadcaster is stealing from advertisers in lieu of real private sector folks that are trying to land that new digital banner ad or what have you. So I think Canadians, particularly after the pandemic, when we are at a very, very fragile time with our economy, with our national unity, they don't want any sacred cows, Nico. Like they want to say, in 2020, should we be doing things like they were done in 1950, 1960, just because that's the way it's been done? No, and I, I use the example of Netflix and streaming because most families relate to what their kids are watching. They're not watching Mr. Dress Up on CBC like I did as a kid when there were four channels available over the air. Now, mm. consumer is in the driver's seat, and I don't think government needs to be there to, to add to a, uh, uh, an entertainment universe that's already there. And news reporting can still happen through the radio, but I think the public broadcaster route of the CBC should be their future, not competing and trying to be all things to all people. Aaron, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Perfect.